Today's daf is Tet Zayin in Masechet Betza. We are going to begin on uh, Tet Zayin Amud Aleph. We are about 12 lines from the top of the Amud where we left off. Tanya, where there's one dot. Tanya, it says in the Bright Amur Alav al Zaken. It was said about Shamaya Zaken, Shakul Yamav, Hayah Ochil Lichvod Shabbat. All week long, all of his days, he would eat in honor of Shabbat. Meaning to say, Matzah Beimanah. When we would find something nice in the beginning of the week, Sunday or Monday, you would find something nice, you would say, this is going to be for Shabbat. But if you found an animal that was better later in the week, then he would take the one that he bought earlier in the week that he thought was going to be for Shabbat, and he would eat that and save the better one, the one that he found later, for Shabbat. But Hillel had a different quality, because all of his actions were the Shem Shemaim. Now exactly what that means is not entirely clear, but but the idea seems to be that that even earlier in the week he wouldn't worry about Shabbat, meaning he would always trust in Hashem that every day what he needed would uh, would uh, be present for him. So therefore, he didn't have to start planning for Shabbat in the beginning of the week. That doesn't mean that he didn't honor Shabbat, but he had a different way of going about things. Uh, and so, whatever would come earlier in the week, he would eat that on that day. The way that I understand that is that it means to say that since every everything he did was the Shem Shemaim, so if he would find good food in the beginning of the week and he ate it in the beginning of the week, that was also the Shem Shemaim, was also the Shem Mitzvah. And later in the week, when it came closer to Shabbat, he trusted that he would find something appropriate for Shabbat as well. <clears throat> and we say, and similarly in another bite that says, that uh, from the first of the week, meaning from Sunday, you should already begin preparing for your Shabbat. Um, or as it says, according to the uh, correction on the side, from the first day of the week, you should be thinking about Shabbat already according to Shammai. However, no, every day we bless Hashem each and every day, meaning to say that um, the, he, our needs come in the proper time and we don't have to start being concerned about Shabbat so early in the week. Rabbi Chama, Rabbi Chanina said that a person who gives a gift to his friend doesn't have to let him know that he gave the gift. Because we see that Moshe Rabbeinu had a face that was shining after uh, his encounter with Hashem. And Hashem didn't tell him. He didn't even realize that his face was shining and other people noticed it and uh, pointed it out to him. Maybe an objection was raised. Uh, that when it's speaking about the gift of Shabbat, it says so that you should know that I am Hashem who sanctifies you. In other words, you should know that I've given you this gift of Shabbat. Uh, she says, that, that Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to make them understand what a special gift I'm giving to them. And uh, so you see that Hashem is giving them the gift of Shabbat and He wants them to know He's giving them this gift. Uh, Hashem said to Moshe, Moshe, I'm, I have a special gift in my treasure house. Shabbat Shabbat called Shabbat and I want to give it to the Jewish people. Go and tell them. From this, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel derived that if you give bread to a child, you have to tell the mother. So you see from that the opposite of what we said, uh, that you should do some kind of, you should make it clear, you should make some kind of a sign or an indication that you've given a gift to the child so that the parents will know and then they'll appreciate it. And uh, she says, So that uh, the parents of the child will know that you love them. 
Ut Bisrael, and that increases love and friendship among Jewish people when they do kind things for one another. So it's important for them to know, for the recipient of the gift to know that you did it. So you see from here, it sounds the opposite. It sounds like you should tell a person when you're going to give them a gift. It depends. If it's a gift that eventually they're going to discover on their own, such as the shining face of Moshe, that eventually it came to his attention because other people noticed it, so then you don't have to tell them. But if it's something that they'll never discover, then you should tell them. But isn't Shabbat also a gift that is going to become known? In other words, obviously the Jewish people are going to receive the Shabbat and they're going to know about Shabbat, so it can't be something that's a secret. So if any time you give a gift, then it's, not, it's eventually going to become known. You don't have to... Um, you don't have to let them know. So why does Hashem tell Moshe to let them know? Because the uh, because even though Shabbat is something which is known, in other words, it has to be revealed to them and told to them, so they're going to learn about it. <clears throat> it's not something that um, the reward of the Shabbat is not uh, immediately evident. It's not going to become evident without someone telling them. And what Moshe had to tell them was about the reward that comes with the observance of Shabbat. That's why Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said that if you give bread to a child, you have to let his mother know that you gave him a gift. What you should do is you should uh, put some of the, uh, of the oil, like some olive oil on his head, and, uh, and you should also put like... Uh, ink around the eye of the child. So the mom will ask, like, uh, what is this funny thing that you have oil on you, you have ink on your eye, um, uh, what happened? And then the, uh, uh, in other words, you make like circles around his eyes with these, this ink and you also put oil on his head and the mom will ask and he'll say, oh, so-and-so did it and he also gave me some bread. So that way she'll become aware of the gift. Nowadays we're worried about kshafim. In other words, people do these kinds of things to, uh, uh, out of some kind of a, uh, evil intent, you know, to, to put a spell on somebody, to do ca- some kind of a, um, uh, you know, s- casting spells or sorcery. My, instead of putting oil or putting ink around the eyes, take some of the bread and stick it on his head. So when he gets home, the mom will say, hey, why do you have bread on your head? He'll say, oh, so-and-so put that there and he also gave me bread. So that way the mom will come to know that uh, that the, the, the gift was given. Amar b'yochanam shuv rabbi rishub ben yochai. Rabbi yochanam said the name of rabbi ben yochai. Kol mitzvot shenatadeh b'kadosh b'chol Yisrael. Tanev farhesya. All of the mitzvot that Hashem gave to the Jewish people, He gave to them in public. Chutz mi Shabbat shenatadeh b'tzinah. Except for Shabbat, which was a private delivery of the mitzvah. Shenemar b'ni ovei b'nei Yisrael. Oti leolam. Like it says, between between me and b'nei Yisrael, it is a sign forever. In other words, the Shabbat is something personal between us and Hashem. Yeah, if that's le'an shu nochuim Allah. So, um, so if that's true, then, uh, uh, so if that's the, uh, if that's the case, so, uh, so then the non-Jews should not be punished for it. In other words, because we say that the Jewish, that Hashem offered the Torah to all the different nations of the world and the, and the nations of the world who rejected the Torah are held responsible for the fact that they didn't accept it. So every one of the mitzvot they didn't accept, they're in a certain sense, uh, held responsible and accountable for the fact that they didn't accept that mitzvah and they are, uh, punished for it. So it says, Shab- so the thing is Shabbat, so if it's something that was not known and it was only secretly told to the Jewish people, so then how can the non-Jews be punished or held accountable for rejecting it? Shabbat Odu'ei, the answer is that Hashem told the non-Jews about the idea of Shabbat when they asked what's in the Torah, whether they wanted to keep it or not. The only thing is He didn't tell them the reward. The reward is something that only the Jewish people know. The existence of the mitzvah is something that was open. Or maybe Hashem did reveal 
openly what the reward was for Shabbat, but Nishama Yitera lo Odeinu. But the secret was the secret that Hashem divulged only to the Jewish people was Nishama Yitera, the extra soul a person receives on Shabbat. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Nishama Yitera, notena Kadosh Baruch Hu Adam Eruv Shabbat, umotzei Shabbat, notena Taimenu. That uh, on Eruv Shabbat, a, a, a Hashem places in each person an extra soul, so to speak, and on Motzei Shabbat he takes it from him. Shenemar Shabbat by Nefash. That's why it says Shabbat by Nefash. He rested and he was refreshed. Kevan Shabbat. Vai Avadah Nefesh. Kevan Shabbat means once the Shabbat is over, it means Vai Avadah Nefesh, meaning Oi Ala Nefesh Al Chala. The person loses once the Shabbat is over. It's taking the word Shabbat here to mean that it's over. When it's over, um, the, the person says, Woe is to me that I lost this extra soul. And that's one of the reasons that's given for why we smelled Bisamim on Motzei Shabbat in order to make us, ourselves feel better about the Nishama Yitera that was lost. Well, she explains Nishama Yitera to mean Rochav Lev Lemnucha Ul Simcha, Patuch Levacha, that the person has an open heart for rest and for joy and to be able to enjoy himself. And he doesn't become disgusted. In other words, he's able to fully relax and enjoy himself on Shabbat. That's the Neshama Yitera. Others explain, such as the Ibn Ezra and the Chumash, explains Neshama Yitera to mean that the person has an intellectually and spiritually more open uh, and receptive on Shabbat, and that this is the power of the Neshama Yitera. Going back to the Mishnah, a person who, when, when a Yom Tov falls on a Friday, uh, and we need to make Eruv Tavshilin in order to cook on Friday for Shabbat. Uh, we have to put Eruv Tavshilin, we have to put a Tavshil, we have to put a cooked dish. Amar Abaye, it only works with the cooked dish of Alpatno, but bread doesn't work. Why not? Why can't you use bread? Maybe you'll say that it's something that you need, that, uh, uh, that you need something to milafet bainan. You need something which is, uh, which accompanies bread. In other words, something that's eaten with bread. You don't put bread on bread. So uh, it needs to be something that goes along with bread to be con- considered a tavshim. And so bread itself wouldn't qualify. What about, this is like farina or uh, cream of wheat. It's not really uh, oatmeal like we call daisa today, but it's the same concept. That's something that you don't put on bread. It's, uh, that uh, that they were criticized. The um, uh, the uh, Rabbi Zerah said that the Babylonians are foolish because they eat bread with bread. In other words, they put daisa, they put cream of wheat on their bread. Uh, there's another there's another example that they say they put rice on their bread. Uh, so in other words, they don't have a sense that you're not supposed to put starch on a starch or whatever it is. The point being that. Um, that you see that they, that that was something that you don't, you're not supposed to put on bread. They were considered fools for putting on bread. And yet, Rabbi Rav Nechumi, Bar Zechariah said the name of Abaye, that you can use the cream of wheat, even though it's like a type of bread, basically. Rather, what we need is something unusual. The reason why you're allowed to use the farina and you're not allowed to use bread is because bread is too common. It's not clear that there's something special or different in the Eruv Tavshilin from what there normally is. Whereas daisa, if you have cream of wheat, that's something different from what you normally have, and therefore the uh, it counts as a tavshil. So it doesn't matter that it's basically another variant on bread; it's another kind of a starch. It doesn't matter. Now, the nowadays our minhag is that we eat uh, that we have in our eve tavshilin usually bread and an egg or some other cooked dish. 
but uh, technically it's just the tavshil that you need. Uh, the, it's just a minhag that we also add bread to it as well. Some have the, uh, the exact opposite conversation. That when Abaye said you can only have a cooked dish and not bread to use as the tavshil, and they asked, So here it's starting from the conclusion of the previous version. Here it's saying maybe you'll say it's because it's something unusual. In other words, bread is something you have all the time. That, and bread is too common, you have it all the time, so it's not obvious that you made it for the Eruv Tavshilein. But what about Daisa, cream of wheat, or farina, lashchicha? It's also unusual. According to this version, Rav Nuchumi said in the name of Abaye that we don't use Daisa. We do not use farina or cream of wheat in our, um, for our Eruv Tavshilein. This is the opposite of the previous one. <laughs> Rather, you need something that accompanies bread. And whereas, uh, and, a, and a cooked dish does that, but obviously, uh, uh, another kind of bread, or even daisa, even the kind of oatmeal, like Rabbi Zira said, these Babylonians are foolish because they eat bread with bread. In other words, they put uh, starches, they put rice, or they put uh, cream of wheat on their bread. So, you, so according to the first version, Daisa was acceptable for Eruv Tavshilim because all we need is something that you don't normally have and you always have bread but you don't always have Daisa. In the second version, Daisa is not good because it's not something that accompanies bread. It's something which in and of itself is a starch, um, a carb food and therefore it doesn't count as and that is the If a person has uh, lentils on the bottom of the pot, he can rely on them for Eruv Tavshilin. In other words, even though he didn't cook those lentils to be the Eruv Tavshilin, he had some leftover. He can leave that leftover if it was before, Shab- before Yom Tov. He had some leftover, uh, uh, you know, Adashim. Uh, uh, he had leftover lentils in the pot. He could just leave that for Eruv Tavshilin. Right, as long as there's a kazait worth. Again, if you have a knife and you were cutting food and there's a chunk of fat on the food, obviously it has to be cooked in order to qualify for some nice fat from the um, from some meat you were cutting. So even though obviously that wasn't it's it wasn't a uh, uh, designed for Yom Tavshilin, but you could leave Yom Tavshilin. But I made the book kazait as long as there is an olive's worth of the fat. Salted fish. These are like uh, sardines or whatever kinds of fish that are salted and they're eaten raw. I guess like herring or something like that. Um, that they were they're eaten raw. So if a non-Jew cooks it, we know normally we have bishul, uh, we have a concept of bishulakum, which is that you can't eat food that was cooked by a non-Jew. But if it's something which normally could be eaten raw, the fact that the non-Jew goes and cooks it doesn't make it edible to you because it was edible to you before. So therefore, the salted fish is not subject to the rule of So here's the chidush. Nevertheless, if a non-Jew goes and he roasts that fish, you can now use it for because in other words, before it was just salted, it wasn't cooked, so it wouldn't be good for which always requires some kind of a cooking. But the chidush here is twofold. On one hand, not only did you not cook the uh, the fish, a non-Jew cooked it, who obviously doesn't have in mind for Eruvet Tavshilin. Number two, even though his cooking is not halachically significant from the perspective of Bishul Akum, because technically, um, since the item could have been eaten raw, his Bishul is not considered significant enough to pro- prohibit those fish because of Bishul Akum. Nevertheless, his Bishul is enough 
the physical fact that he cooked it, that he roasted it, is enough to make it a cooked dish from the perspective of Eruvet Tavshilin, and we can now use it for Eruvet Tavshilin, which means you could use that, uh, despite the fact that the person who did it is not aware of anything about Eruvet Tavshilin, and despite the fact that his cooking is not significant from other halachic perspectives. Now, but if he made Kasadarsana, Kasadarsana was a type of a fish hash that they used to make. It was considered a very affordable meal. It had like fish and, uh, and flour and stuff like that put together. So that is forbidden if a non-Judah makes it. Why? What would you have thought? You might have thought the fish was the essence and since the, fi- the fat of the fish that's in there is something which could be eaten raw hypothetically, you might have thought that that fat of the fish that's mixed with the flour is the main thing. But the, uh, the conclusion is that no, the, the really the flour in there is the main thing. The fat of the fish is just coming to flavor the flour and therefore since the main thing is the flour and the flour is raw and cannot be eaten raw, so the non-Jews cooking is considered bishul akum. Amarabi Abba. Eruvet Avshin Tzuchin Kazait. The Eruvet Avshin has to have a Kazait. Ibailu. Kazait echad kulan. Does that mean you need a Kazait for everybody? In other words, even if there were a hundred people relying on the Eruvet Avshin, only one Kazait. Or Dilma Kazait kul echad vechad. Or every person who's going to be using that has to have a kazait worth for each person using it. We learned that Rabbi Abba said in the name of Rav, only needs a kazait, whether it's for one person or a hundred people. So meaning to say that the Eruvet Avshilin has a minimum of kazait, it doesn't matter for how many people it is functioning. It doesn't have to be a kazait for each participant. It's not a chalosh avad, if the person ate the Eruvet Avshilin or he lost it, right? he cannot now cook based on it. It was eaten, let's say, before... The, uh, before he had a chance to cook on Yom Tov, the Eruvet Tavshilin was eaten by accident, so it doesn't exist anymore. So he can't cook on it anymore. Right? However, However, if there's any left, that's good enough. So my Kolshu, So the implication is that even though there isn't a Kazayit, because it says if any was left, he can still use it. So obviously Eruvet Tavshilin doesn't require Kazayit. So it says, look, the Itbe Kazayit. Nope, it's, it means when it says uh, any amount, it means a Kazayit. That when we talk about this tavshil, this cooked dish of um, it could be tzli, it could be a, um, it could be roasted, even kavush, even something that was uh, soaked or boiled or boiled in water. Um, it doesn't matter what method of cooking. Rashi says kavush means bechometz. It means in vinegar. Shaluk means very, very overcooked. Mevushal means just properly cooked. Doesn't matter. But kulgas ispanin. Shnatalav mai chamin merav yom tov tchilato vesofo enoshor. So the thing is that also kulgasa ispanin. That's a type of a um, of a salted fish. That the way you would cook it was just by pouring boiling water over it, and that was it. And that's what we learned. You're not allowed to do that on, on Shabbat. But if you did that before Yom Tov, you poured the hot water over the salted fish, and that's considered its hachana. That's considered its preparation. That's considered its cooking. So uh, that could count as your eruvet avshilin. The beginning and the end. There's no measurement. So that's really what the Gemara is bringing that for. What do you see for that? My love enoshior klal. The implication is that it doesn't require a kazai because it says there's no measurement. So it says lo enoshior lemala, but enoshior lemata. What it means is there's no maximum amount, but there is a minimum amount. You need to have a kazai, right? Meaning uh, that there's no uh, there's there's no amount that there's no maximum limit. Amarav huna amarav vafuna says neurav eruvet avshilin shetrichindat eruvet avshilin requires intent. 
right? We know that the person who sets the Ovei Tavshilin must have intent for doing it. But that But what about if I'm participating in the Ovei Tavshilin? Do I need to know it? Do I need? Do you need my uh, uh, my consent or awareness for me to be counted in the Ovei Tavshilin that I'm not making? Rashi says she, uh, that. Um, this is from Rashi. Obviously, the person who set aside the Ovet Tavshin has to intend it. He has to be, he definitely does, has to have intent. But in other words, do I need to know in advance? Meaning to say that if somebody else is making an Ovet Tavshin for other people, does he have to notify them before he makes it? Or is it enough that they know when they come to cook on Yom Tov that it was made on their behalf? Or would you have to notify them in advance is the question. The answer is, Tashmach, come and listen. Shmuel, the father of Shmuel, he used to make an Eruvet of Shilin for the entire uh, city of Nahardea. Similarly, Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi used to make the Eruvet of Shilin themselves for the entire Teveria. Rabbi Yaakov Baridi used to get up and announce anybody who didn't make an Eruvet of Shilin, you can come and rely on mine, meaning to say that they all had in mind to set this Eruvet of Shilin for anybody who wanted it. And obviously, he didn't go, they didn't go and take permission from each individual, but it was a blanket intention on their part. And then the people uh, didn't have to know in advance as long as they knew that it was made for them when they came to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbat. <coughs> How far does that extend? It only extends as far as the Tchum Shabbat. In other words, only somebody who would be able to come to you. On that Yom Tov, could you say that the Eruvet of Shilin counts for them? They have to be within the twenty to the two thousand Amot distance of the Tchum uh, of the Shabbat boundary in order for the Eruvet of Shilin to count for them. Um, incidentally, there's, I'll, I'll mention uh, just one important halachic point that I uh, I've mentioned in the past too, but I'll mention it after this next piece here. Who is Samya? The Havas Misadir Matnita Kamei de Shmuel. There was a certain blind person who uh, used to uh, recite Mishnayot in front of Mor Shmuel. He knew everything by heart, of course. So he was reciting it. And Chazed uh, Av one day he saw that he was sad. He said to him, why are you sad? He said, because I did not... Uh, I did not set an Eruv Tavshilin for this Yom Tov, and now I'm stuck on this uh, Yom Tov, I can't prepare for Shabbat. Amar leh, amai ativa. So he said to him, so what did he answer him? He said, amar leh, simochadidi. He said, no problem, I'm making Eruv Tavshilin, said Mor Shemuel, for the entire community. So you can just rely on the one I set. But then he saw next year, it happened again, the Shana Chazia Dava Ativ. Again, he saw him the next year said, Again, I forgot to put an Eruvet of Shilin. He said, for everyone else it's permitted, but not for you, because you are a Poshea, meaning you are now a, uh, you are a, um, uh, considered a, a negligent person, because this is the second time you've done it, so therefore, uh, I cannot, you cannot rely on my, um, uh, on my Eruvet Havshilin, because my Eruvet Havshilin is for people who forgot, not for people who have a habit of not doing it, and since you've already done it a second time, you cannot rely on it anymore. Um, it's only for the people who forgot. Now, Rashi says an interesting thing here. He says, uh, 
two, two interesting things. First of all, he says, that on a, uh, on any other, it must have been Rosh Hashanah because on any other holiday, uh, in the diaspora, because they were in Bavel, so they had two days of Yom Tov, we would have been able to place an Erov Tavshilin on the first day and make a condition, if today is a weekday, then this Erov Tavshilin is for tomorrow, and if this, and if today is the real Yom Tov day, then I don't need an Erov Tavshilin, because tomorrow is really er, uh, just a regular Erov Shabbat. So he said from the fact that he, that was not a possibility, um, you can see it's Rosh Hashanah. Of course, it's also possible to suggest that maybe this was the second day of the holiday, and so that option did not exist for him. Um, but moving on, so that's, so the basic point is that, uh, a person is, um, is allowed to rely on the Eruvet that's made for the community when they forgot, but they shouldn't do it as a matter of the Chatechila. And as I had mentioned in the past, an important halacha is that if you're making an Eruvet for other people, you have to be Mizakeh, you have to transfer ownership of the Eruvet Shilin to, uh, the entire group for whom you're making it. So when I used to make an Erovet Shilin for the community, I would say, I would give it to another, another Jewish adult above the age of Bar Mitzvah, preferably not an immediate family member, but you can use an immediate family member according to the Ikar Hadin for Sfaradim, and to transfer to them and have them accept the Erovet Shilin on behalf of all of the Jewish people who live in the, within the Tuchum. And then you take it back and you make the blessing on the Erovet Shilin, and it can count for everyone. But if you did not, transfer ownership of it officially to everyone in the community, then it would not count for them. And the person who receives it on behalf of the community has to lift it up as well. You cannot make and you cannot make In other words, if you want to extend the Tchum for that Shabbat, you can't go place the at the point of the 2000 Amot. In other words, we learned that you can go up to 2,000 amot past the, uh, past the boundary of the city and then put an Eruvet Chumin and that allows you to extend in that direction another 2,000 amot, but it takes away, of course, your ability to go in the other direction outside the city, but it extends you 2,000 amot in the direction that you went. You can't do that on a Yom Tov that falls on Shabbat. And you also can't make Eruvet Chatzerot, which means that if you live in a shared area, such as a courtyard of the olden days or an apartment building of today, and you need to have an Eruvet Chatzerot in order to unite everybody under one group so that they're allowed to carry in the shared area. Because as we learned in Masachet Eruvin, and we've seen many, many other times, even an enclosed area, if it's shared by multiple dwellings, they have to have an Eruvet Chatzerot in order to make it considered Eruvet Chatzerot to satisfy the rabbinic rule that it has to be Eruvet Chatzerot. Um, uh, and so you can't do that on Yom Tov. However, Rabbi says, no, you can make an Erovei Chatzot, just not Erovei Tchumin. What's the reason? Because the fact is that on Yom Tov, you also can't carry outside the Tchum. So we can't allow you to make an Erovei Tchumin to change the, the parameters of your Tchum, of your boundary limit on, on a Yom Tov. Because the Yom Tov also has the rule of Tchum. However, Erovei uh, on Yom Tov, there's no prohibition of carrying. You don't need an Erovei Chatzerot for Yom Tov. So why should there be a restriction on carrying? Uh, and since there's no restriction on carrying within the, within the Chatzer on Yom Tov anyway, why can't you make an Erovei Chatzerot for the Shabbat that is the next day? It should be no different than making it on a weekday, says Rabbi. Itmar was stated, Rav said that you cannot make an Erovei on Yom Tov. Shmuel says, no, you can. I hope we hold like Rabbi. What did Shmuel mean? Did he mean Lekula or Lechumra? Is he being lenient or, or stringent? What do you mean? What do you mean? Obviously, he means lenient. 
Right? So because that was Rabbi. Rabbi is more lenient. He allows you to make an Eovechatzerot on Yom Tov for the benefit of the Shabbat that's coming the next day. No, but the answer is Mishum de Shalach Rabbi Elazar Lagola because Rabbi Elazar sent to the diaspora. Look, Shatem Shonim Bavel. It's not like what you have in Bavel. Rabbi Matir Vachachamim Osri. That Rabbi is the lenient one and the Chachamim are stringent. Ella Rabbi Oser Vachachamim Matiri. Rather, it's Rabbi who's stringent and the Chachamim were lenient. So therefore, we asked whether Shmuel was holding like the Babylonian version of the teaching in which Bavel is, in which uh, Rabbi is the lenient. Or he was holding like the Israeli version, according to which Rabbi was stringent. My so We can infer the answer from what happened. Rav Tachlifa Barav Dimi followed Shmuel Salacha. and Rav said Rav said the beginning of this rabbinical students. Uh, halachic decisions is is ruinous, is lekil kula, is messing everything up. In other words, he criticized following the position of Shmuel, saying that Shmuel's position was damaging and bad. No, that would be Amar Bishlam al kula kamaranu kil kula ilamar chuma mai kil kula ika. So he said it only makes sense to say what what Rab said about Shmuel if Shmuel was being lenient. <coughs> He's criticizing Shmuel and saying. That Shmuel's uh, leniency in allowing people to make an Eovech Hatzerot on, on a Friday, on a Yom Tov that falls on a Friday for the benefit of the Shabbat, is bad. So obviously Shmuel, when he said Halacha Rabbi, he meant the lenient version of Rabbi. But if Shmuel were being stringent, so then why would, uh, why would uh, Rav criticize him? So the Gemara says, Kevan de mekalkelei ba Rabbi. Hainu kilkula. Since people will mess up, mekalkeleba rabim, Rashi says, sheshochin umetaltelin belo eruv. In other words, even if Shmuel took the stringent opinion, Rav could have criticized him. Because Rav would have said, oh, you should have taken the lenient opinion and allowed people to make an erove chatzerot on Yom Tov that falls on Friday. Because the fact that you didn't is going to cause people to carry on that Shabbat without an eruv. Without an Eovei Chatzerot. So in other words, we can learn it both ways. Shmuel could have been lenient, allowing people to make an Eovei Chatzerot on the Friday Yom Tov. And Rav was criticizing him because he was allowing that. Or it could be that Shmuel was not allowing them to make an Eovei Chatzerot on Yom Tov. And Rav was criticizing him for not allowing it because it would lead people to carry on that Shabbat in the Chatzer without an Eov. So we can't determine anything definitively from that. Amar Finally, the Alachak follows Rabbi in the stringent version, meaning to say that we say that um, that the uh, that the um, that a person is not allowed to make an erovechatzerot on a Friday Yom Tov, even though it seems logical since carrying in the chatzer is permitted, of course, on Yom Tov, even without an Eruv, because carrying in the public domain is permitted, they didn't allow the creation of any kind of Eruv on the Yom Tov itself, even of an Eruv chatzerot.